Um, should we? Shouldn't we? How should we? Why should we? Um, what what's the what should be the Christian take on Christmas? Which is really odd to think about it because Christmas has the name Christ in it. So you would think that okay, it would make sense for Christians to celebrate Christmas. Um, so what we're gonna do this morning is try to figure out if we could take and I'll 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 let you into why it might be a little bit of a controversy for Christians to celebrate Christmas as we go along. Um, so if you ask someone randomly, whether you know they're a, a Christian or not, um, what is Christmas, you probably get quite a plethora of answers. Um, you know, the, the, the stock biblical answer to that question is it's a holiday set aside to celebrate the birth of Jesus. Right? That's pretty straightforward. Um, somebody might say it's uh, somebody being um, the, the corporations and the Lifetime movies might express to us that it's about family and giving and joy and peace, sort of keeping it separate from Christ. You might get a couple answers from some people that says, oh, it's actually a pagan holiday and you should avoid it. That 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 is a legitimate concern and thought that some people have. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at a very light history of Christmas, very light, because I didn't have time to do much research. Uh, but basically sort of think about its origin and maybe how it does have some connection with things that we wouldn't be too excited about. And then from that point on, maybe take some biblical principles to think about uh, how that fits together um, to start with. So the first Christmas celebration that we know of recorded was in the mid-4th century, so 300-something um, A.D. And it is documented that Julius I, who was the bishop of Rome, so a bishop, an elder of the church, uh, uh, basically declared that day, December 25th, as a holiday for the church to celebrate the birth of Christ. Um, it just so happened that December 25th at the time with the Julian calendar was the darkest day of the year. So it was the shortest day of the year. There was more darkness in that day than any other day of the year. And so it seemed fitting to Julius to, to celebrate the birth of, quote, the great light, unquote, on the darkest day of the year. Now, uh, I, and it's a reference to Isaiah 9, which is then also referenced by Jesus in Matthew 4, I believe, uh, speaking of the great light that has come from Christ. Uh, now, that when Julius did that, it wasn't to state that Jesus was born on December 25th. However, people then would make the argument that December 25th would have been the birth date of Jesus because it would have correlated with the consummation of, um, I'm sorry, the conception of Jesus 
on March 25th, which had been given the date of the created of, of creation. Don't know how they got it, but they said that the world was created on March 25th, and so it only makes sense that Jesus was born on March 25th or conceived on March 25th, and then some nine months later comes on December 25th. So that, that theory is out there, uh, but wasn't necessarily the thought behind making it on the 25th. Um, so it wasn't that, but perhaps it was more to counter and outdo the pagan worships and celebrations that were taking place. Because that day, December 25th, and actually that time frame throughout that month, uh, the month of December, there were a lot of pagan celebrations going on. Um, one of them was called uh, Saturn to Nelly. I don't know. But Saturn, you get, you can hear a, a goddess or god name in there. Um, same place we get the, 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 the name for the planet Saturn. Same place we get the name for the day Saturday. Um, but one of the most popular Roman festivals was this Saturnaila. And it was dedicated to the Roman god Saturn. Um, and it had a huge impact on the Western world. You've got a temple... Uh, a temple to Saturn. You've got uh, the celebration that starts on December 17th and lasts sometimes up to seven days. It was connected to the winter season. Um, it was a lively festival, and there's a large impact from that celebration to Christmas because that celebration was doused with greenery and lighting. It was all throughout, okay? Um, the Rome, and then there there was another holiday or festival that took place in December. The Roman Emperor Aurelian established a feast a feast of the birth of Sol Invictus, which is Latin for the unconquered sun. S U N, okay, S U N, not S O N. This started in 2074. Or 274. This was to worship the sun god above all other deities of Rome. He was a popular god. He protected the soldiers. All this good stuff. Um, and the coincidence with Christmas eventually led um, in the 18th and 19th century scholars of religion to speculate that December 25th had been chosen as the birth date of Jesus of Nazareth to co-op the Sol Invictus celebration or the unconquered sun. Whether or not – okay, so that that's basically what was going on in December when we started to celebrate Christmas, okay? So whether or not the early Christians wanted Christmas to counter these pagan holidays, uh, our celebration of Jesus is among that. Like you can't deny that can't deny the reality that those things were there, um, which means uh, our popular understanding or celebration of Christmas can sometimes look unchristian. Um, when we think about Christmas and the story of Christmas as, as a holiday, okay, as a holiday, we have to understand that it isn't it isn't a holiday that was sacred and then corrupt by secularism and paganism, but it was one that has basically been entwined together throughout history. 
They've both they've coexisted. The holidays, the celebrations. I'm not talking about the truth that exists between both, but the, the reality and celebration that takes place. Uh, I saw a quote that said they are entangled like holly and ivy. And I thought that was pretty clever. Okay, so do you jump in head first and celebrate Christmas knowing that it's mixed in and probably got a little bit of ivy with mixed in with the holly? Well, I'm going to give you three biblical principles. These are hot, these are hot shots. This isn't we're going to go in depth. I'm going to give you these biblical principles, and here's a little test. Tell me if you can reference these verses that these principles come out of, okay? So these are the thing, biblical principles to help us think about how to celebrate Christmas, or even if we should. Uh, first principle, we are to be in the world, but not of the world. Where's that? Give me the address. Come on. I picked easy ones. This one. John, John 17, high priestly prayer, right? As, as Jesus is... Uh, praying to the Father, he's going to be leaving the world, but he actually prays that God would, the Father would not take them out of the world, but leave them in the world because what? They've got a mission to do. So, second principle, kind of going on with that. While in the world, while in the world, what should we be? Light in the darkness. So, sort of coming back to the idea that Julius had of celebrating the light of Christ on the darkest day. Now there's tons of references there. Think, give me a give me a reference of being light and dark or being something within the world. You could continue in John 17, but any other spots come to mind? Matthew. Matthew, Sermon on the Mount, right? Um, five, yeah, Matthew five. Um, Philippians two comes to my mind. Uh, as Paul says, uh, um, he's not able to be with the Philippians, but he hopes that their behavior. Um, mess, I think I'm combining a couple things, but he basically says, "Be light within a crooked and twisted generation, right?" And and they're to do that in their behavior. I don't know. Colossians Colossians 1 being that being um, God removed us out of a kingdom of darkness into a kingdom of light. So that is true. We're in the kingdom of light while still living in the domain of the world, which is in darkness physically. Well, we're living physically, but it's a spiritual darkness. Uh, Third, God came to save the world. So we must not find ourselves out, or find ourselves turning away from the world in isolation. This would hinder the great commission. So where do we find that God came to save the world? John. John. I think either nineteen or twenty. I think. Um, I'm not sure. I was thinking John three. Yeah, so we've got 19? we. Oh yeah 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 yeah. So we've got the famous verse in John 3.16 that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And then a verse two, one or two verses after that, he says that Jesus has been sent not to – or Jesus says, I've come not to condemn the world but to save the world. Right? And so how are we to how – how are we to help as the church and Christians 
if we're saying, mm, no, I'm just going to completely separate myself from the world. This kind of touches on what we were discussing the other night, right, um, about being holy and separate but still in the world. And I got to thinking about it because I've probably got a lot of time to kill, so let's, let's talk about it. Um, it was brought up that Paul was – help me say it. He uh, – He said bent toward. No, well, but what's the verse Paul uses in – it's either, it's either Corinthians or Romans. The point, the point being is that Paul was willing to uh, engage to engage and entangle with with uh, different types of uh, people for the sake of winning some. What is? How does it go? Come on, y'all got to help me out here. I think it's Corinthians. Yes. Yes. There it is. That's what he said. That by that um, I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. So and so the question was, is how do we live holy in the world uh, yet not be corrupted by the world? And this passage was made reference to. But I but I think. The thing we have to understand as far as Paul is concerned with his statement here is what you read. He's talking about – he's really talking about crossing cultural bounds, Jew and Gentile. But think about all the cultures that Paul visits. Not only does – it's not just Gentile. He's in Asia Minor. He's in Italy. He's in Jerusalem. He's everywhere. And so it's not as if I'm going to I don't I want to be like them in a worldly sense, but I'm willing to engage in them culturally, staying consistent morally so that I can bring the gospel to them. The problem and I think this is what we were getting hung up in is we're thinking about living in America today. And we're saying, okay, how does that verse apply? Well, there's not really any lines that need to be crossed for the sake of evangelism in our where we live, because there's no cross culture here. We're all this. We're all America. We all. Know, I mean, there's. We're not going from. We're not going from one type of uh, in uh, one type of place and culture to another. It's just basically loving our neighbor. It's not we. 
we can't overcomplicate it. Now, if you moved, if you're if you're a traveling salesman and you wind up in North Maine, yeah, you might have to rethink about how you uh, walk in the house or the way you talk. Uh, I, these kind of things that don't have any moral implications, but they're just how do I engage with them culturally? Um, so going back to the Christmas thing, you know, the world's going to celebrate Christmas whether it's for Christ or not for Christ. Um, we're, we're not go- we're not going to abandon something. If we feel like it's good because the world is diluting it or poisoning it, defiling it. But we also have to understand, and this is the point I was kind of making earlier, is that it's not the celebration. The celebration is sort of the icing on the cake. It's the truth that truly matters, right? It is the it is the right, and so we could call it. We could call it December celebration. Yeah. I mean, it, it doesn't matter. It, it, it really doesn't matter. Um, the only thing that matters is what Jesus was born in and what he was, God told him to do. Right. That's, that's so we just have to, we have to think about, we have to think about those principles as we consider Christmas. Now, let's, let's ruffle some feathers. Let's talk about the real, the real object of Christmas, Saint Nick. Let's talk about him for a second. So, you have to understand, Santa Claus is based on a real person. You know that? Okay. His name, I don't know his full name, but he was actually, he's a saint of the church, the Roman Catholic Church, Saint Nicholas. True story. Um... He was born about around the same time that Julius established uh, December 25th as Christmas. Uh, he was an obedient, faithful servant. Uh, he, I saw somewhere that says that he took seriously the command of Jesus to sell what you own and give the money to the poor. That would have been the command that he gave to the rich young ruler. Nicholas used his whole inheritance to assist the needy, the sick, and the suffering. He dedicated his life to serving God and was made bishop of Myra while still a young man. Uh, I'm just reading facts that I found off about, about Nicholas, but I have one story, legend, to tell as well. Bishop Nicholas came, no, became known throughout the land for his generosity to those in need, his love for children, and his concern for sailors and ships. Under the Roman, uh, the Roman emperor uh, Diocletian, who ruthlessly persecuted Christians, Bishop Nicholas suffered for his faith, was exiled and imprisoned. The prisons were so full of bishops, priests, and deacons, there was no room for real criminals. But then he was released, and after his release, he was uh, a councilman at the Council of Nicaea. Which, if you know your church history, you understand that was a very important council of the church in 325 A.D. That was where they hammered out the deity of Christ. So here's the legendary story. There was an incident, apparently, at Nicaea between old St. Nick. Um, 
that as it got, they were heated in their debate about about some doctrine, again, legend, um, that he got so frustrated at someone's heresy that he smacked him across the face and was eventually removed from his position because of his behavior uh, as bishop, but then later was reinstated. I don't know if that's true, but it's a fun Christmas story. Uh, he died in 343 in Myra and was buried in his cathedral church. Um, there's a, The most famous story about St. Nicholas was uh, of a poor man with his three daughters, and in those days, a young woman's father had to offer prospective husbands something of value, a dowry. The larger the dowry, the better the chance that, the, uh, that a young woman would find a good husband. Without a dowry, a woman was unlikely to marry. This poor man's daughters, without dowries, were therefore destined to be sold into slavery. Mysteriously, on three different occasions, a bag of gold appeared in their home providing the needed dowries. The bags of gold tossed through an open window are said to have landed in stockings or shoes left behind the fire to dry. This led to the custom of children hanging stockings or putting out shoes, eagerly waiting for gifts from St. Nicholas. And still in Europe today, they put they leave out shoes and there are gold coins put in their shoes overnight. Um, sometimes, well... We'll keep sometimes represents as oranges. If you're me as a kid, it was peanuts and oranges. But hey, uh, so Saint Nicholas has been known as the gift giver. So, do we celebrate? No, no, let's ask ourselves now because we want to think about this biblically. How do we celebrate this man today? Okay, so think about this Saint Nick, or as he's famously known, Santa Claus is omniscient, omnipresent, and pretty powerful. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He gives gifts based on behavior, merit. He knows if you've been bad or good. So he's a judge. And he judges based on moral behavior. Now, there's... Two problems that sort of fall out of that. Number one, we've we've put upon a man, actually now a mythical figure, God likeness. Okay, God likeness. He he knows all and is all places and can be all places. But we also have to understand that his judging and gift giving is antithetical to the gospel. Right? It's antithetical to grace. Um, do good, receive gifts. Do bad, receive whatever. Don't receive gifts. But we understand that the gospel is a gift to those who have not earned it. It's unmerited favor. But the other, the other connection that we have to see here, and we're thinking about how we celebrate Christmas and Santa Claus is how do we connect kids to St. Nick? Faith. Believing. Right? Which, again, 
undermines the gospel. Principles, here's some principles. Here's here's some verses, some thoughts to guide us on our outlook of Saint Nick. Now, Paul says that we should imitate faithful men. Philippians 3. Um, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. So it sounds to me, based on what history says, that St. Nick is someone to uh, remember and imitate in the same way we would another church father uh, from the the first three, four, five, or even all of church history. Definitely someone to remember and imitate. but what we've got to be careful of is not to attribute God-likeness to men or even to angels. There's an incident in, is it Lystra? Um, Acts 14. Yeah, Lystra. Paul and Barnabas are in Lystra. Uh, Acts 14. And... They're in there, and a crippled man, a crippled man gains his uh, ability to walk again, and all of a sudden the crowds, verse 11, saw what Paul had done. They lifted up their voices, saying in their language, "The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men." Barnabas, they cried, Zeus, and Paul, Hermes. Some assume they call Paul Hermes because Hermes was the the speaker or the orator for Zeus, the messenger of Zeus. And Paul was the the orator. Uh, Oh, it says, because he was the chief speaker. And uh, and the priest of Zeus, uh, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice for the crowds. But when when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard it, they tore their garments rushed out into the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature, like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. So they do not want God-likeness attributed to themselves. But we also see... See this account in Revelation 19, but towards uh, an angel. Let me just read it. You don't have to turn there. An angel speaking to John, and he says, Then then John fell down at the angel's feet to worship him, and he said to me, You must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. Now, I've got one more principle to guide us on St. Nick, and it's from Exodus 20:16. What do you think that one is? Exodus 20:16. What's in Exodus 20? Ten Commandments. What Ten Commandment might be a guiding principle to how we evaluate St. Nick? Should not bear false witness. Right? I was listening to 
was listening to uh, a thing on raising little boys, on parenting little boys. And the guy was talking about how when his kids were little, he would let, or no, it was his firstborn, he would let his son beat him in a foot race. And after he beat him, he let him beat him, he walked over to him and goes, I'm faster than you, Dad. And he's like, ugh, you're not. Really. He didn't say anything. And he kind of kept on. And then he said this, he says, I'm faster than everybody. I'm faster than God. <laughs> so it was like, it was like that, that letting in that little bit of false witness about the truth expanded greatly into not just him thinking that he's faster than his dad, but he's like, I'm faster than God because I'm so fast. And so it's just, the, and it, it really got me thinking. It's like, okay, is there such thing as a good lie for the sake of our children? You know, it's just, it's, it's, it's a fine line to walk, but something to consider and think about. Um, so, yeah, that, there, there are the, the principles when thinking about good old Saint Nick. Um, gifts without grace is pointless. Cheer without joy in Christ is no fun. And lights without the light of the world it's still darkness, right? Um, we sang "Oh Holy Night," but look. When we think about Christmas, you can't get much better than than "Oh Holy Night." The stars are brightly shining. It is the night of the dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and arrow pining. Till he appears and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. For yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Fall on your knees. Hear the angel voices. And then the third verse. Truly he taught us to love one another. Best line ever maybe. His law is love. And his gospel is peace. Man, it's good stuff. So, just something for us to think about. Um, I, I couldn't find it. Sylvia and I were really thinking through this a few years back, after, uh, right around the time Nora was born. We weren't really sure how we, we needed to approach Christmas biblically. If we should celebrate it all, if we should have a tree, should we do any of this stuff? Um, and I remember reading an article from John Piper, and he, he made this statement. He goes, the world will celebrate Christmas, whether you do or not. He goes, but we've decided to celebrate it a lot harder than them for the glory of our king. And I was like, yep, yep. So just... Something for us to think through this this season. Let's pray. Our Lord and God, we're thankful that you've put on paper words for us to consider and remember. But Lord, we're most thankful of all that you've written your truth upon our hearts as followers of Christ, born of spirit. And we ask that we would be taught 
day in and day out. The love of Christ and to love Christ. And that we would find peace always in the newborn King. For Christ's sake we pray. Amen.